Amen. Amen. How many feel the Spirit of God this morning? Amen. He's here. Well, get your Bibles open, if you would, to the book of Genesis. And as you're getting your Bibles open, I want to uh, just, I'm not going to preach on this, but I want to throw out a quick current event that's going on uh, that most of you probably know and just mention how uh, relevant it is. And like I said, I'm not going to go into the whole thing today. I prayed about preaching a message on it, but I didn't feel led to do the whole message, but I do want to throw out the nugget. How many have been watching the news and seeing what's going on in Israel? Well, I want to remind you that this is uh, not a coincidence. Amen. The timing is not a coincidence. Sounded good before whatever we just did right there. And if you'll remember the, the preaching we've been doing about the end times. Thank you, sir. About the blood moons. How many remember the blood moons? And how that there would be four blood moons in these two years of 2014 and 2015 that are called the tetrad. And uh, those tetrads take place several times over the history of our world, but never, ever have taken place uh, on feast days of the Jewish nation like they are this time. And when they have, the two or three times in the past, it has always been, say always, always. symbolic of God doing something. Right. Okay, and so just quickly, you'll remember going back to 1948 when Israel did not exist. Right. Israel was not a nation. They were there, but they had no name. Going all the way back uh, to the very beginning, they had, they had been scattered around the earth. And uh, they did not, Israel did not exist, so prophecy could not come forth like it did in, eight, in 1948. There was a tetrad during the Jewish feast holidays. And then that was when they got, became a state. Then again in 1967, there was the war that gave them the whole state of Israel. Again, tetrads took place. Blue blood moons, you saw them back in April. And whenever those happened, the, God was saying through the signs of, 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 of the skies, I'm talking to you. And so I want to remind you that it's not a coincidence that right now in 2014, sometimes we see a blood moon and we think, well, something's got to happen that day. Well, if you think about the month we're in, we're in July and April was the first blood moon. October will be the next blood moon. And is it a coincidence that right in the middle of those two blood moons, Israel goes to war and they're fighting the Palestinians right now. And once again, it's all about that place they live. And so I just want to remind you to be praying for Israel. I want to remind you there's a thing called replacement gospel, which means that uh, people think because we've been saved by Jesus Christ and because the Jewish people rejected Jesus, that the Jewish people are no longer important. There's a gospel that's preached that. The Jewish people is our people. We are, we are they're the true heirs. Amen. We're engrafted in. And so we've got to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Amen. We need to pray for the peace of Israel. We need to pray for that country. We need to pray for the, everything that's going on. But I just wanted to throw that out to you. And maybe over the next few weeks I'll get into more of it. But it's getting heavier. And it's going to lead into some other things that we've talked about a lot in the past in scriptures. So how many will pray with me about that and pray for that. And keep your eyes on the news and be paying attention to what's going on. Amen. I want to talk this morning, we're going to have communion today at the end of the service, and I want to talk about uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Now, when I say the word atonement, don't, don't feel bad, but how many uh, would say, I know what that means, the atonement of Jesus Christ? There's some people that know that word, okay? I'm going to break it down. I love to break it down to where you understand it good. If you don't know that word, it's, uh, it's an important word in the Bible, and it's all the way from Genesis through Revelation. How many remember at Easter time when I preached the message called the Scarlet Thread of Redemption, and I used that rope, and we went from different places in the Bible, and we showed how it ended up at the cross, and from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see the scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus Christ being our redemption from our sins, okay? And so the atonement this morning is everything to our salvation. And I want to look in Genesis in just a second, but I want to, I want to remind you, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I was talking about um, sacrifice, and I was talking about, throw out this example, the man, a man, I asked you the question, how many of you would die for somebody? How many remember that? Right. And, and the reason that's, that I asked that was, I said, if you knew that you could give your life this morning, I'm going to ask those that weren't here, right now, if you would, could give your life for the Lord, this is a spiritual thing, and, and I told you, if you died for, for somebody right now, you gave your life, God said, here's a, here's a deal, 500 people will be saved. Okay? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have to think twice. I honestly would not have to think twice. If I knew I could give my life and 500 people would go to heaven, how many would do that? Let me see if I've got any takers in here. Some of y'all are thinking, well, what, what's, the next, what's the next step? <laughs> Amen. Well, I just want you to think about it, okay? We know we can't die for anybody. Our, our blood means nothing. But I want you to think about this, okay? So, so if I died and I knew 500 people would go to heaven, most of us would take that deal. We'd give our life and we'd get up to heaven and high-five those 500 people and they would thank us, okay? Now, the other question is, if I asked you to do that and I said 500 people could be saved, how many know that would change your thought life? Okay, that would change the whole... That's a game changer, right? So... That's really what happens in the gospel. Jesus has given his life for us. But when he did it, watch this, he did it with no guarantee that anybody would accept it. Okay, so if I said that same 500 people might get saved, meaning they, if you died and gave your life, they might accept your sacrifice and might go ahead and live a life worthy and might make it to heaven they might accept what you did. They might thank you for it. Right. Okay, I want to go back to that again for a second. How many have ever given something to somebody and they didn't say thank you? Yeah. Right? It's not that you give to get the thank you, but boy, you feel so much better when they say thank you. Yeah. And how many have ever given something and they didn't say thank you and you felt bad, right? And there's just, that's just human flesh, okay? So then we'll go one step further. That, that artists, is, artists and Deja are my neighbors. Don't get scared, artists, I promise. Artists, <laughs> artists is honestly... One of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome man. He's a, he's a great neighbor. He would do anything for me. He would do anything for you. He's a great man. I've always told him that. Amen. He's got a great heart. I'm just using him as an example. How many know a lot of people got good hearts? Right? And I, I could say, okay, I really know artists. He lives across the street from me. I, I really have a great relationship. He's my friend. And I could say, you know what? If artists, if I gave my life for you, would you live for Jesus? And would you promise me you'd make it to heaven? And he would say yes, of course. Okay? 
But how many know that after he said yes, and after I died, and after I gave my life, life would happen. And there's a possibility down the road, as good as a person as he is, and as great of a neighbor as he is, and as good of a heart as he has, he might forget what I did for him. And he might walk away from what I did for him, and he might not make it to heaven. And I would have given my life in vain. Atonement this morning is a life for a life. That's what atonement is. A life for a life. Okay? Now I want to get into the scriptures, and I, and I said all that for this. I want to look at Genesis chapter 4, if you're there. Say amen. Genesis chapter 4. I want to show you, because I, I, like I like to try to get us to think as much as we can. We can't totally, of course, like God. If I was God, if you were God, how many know it helps us to understand the character of God if we can understand how God thinks, and if we can possibly think how I would think if I was God. Now, I'm not trying to make us gods. Don't get me wrong when I say that. But I want you to put yourself in the mind of God. And if you were God, if that was you, how would you feel? How would you do things? And a lot of us would already say, well, I think I'd do things different. Right? A lot of us would say that. There's a lot of things we don't understand. And I, and I said, I think Wednesday night, Isaiah 55 is one of those scriptures where it says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You're going to get along in God so much faster when you stop trying to figure him out. Let me just tell you that right now. Stop trying to figure him out and realize he's God. And if he says it, that's the way it is. And stop trying to say, well, I don't like that and buck the system because it's just not going to work. You cannot beat God. How many of you have come to realize that? We well, still have a whole lot of people trying. Look at Genesis 4. Let's read this story. All of you know, or at least have heard, Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible... Try to look on with somebody so you can see the word. Adam knew Eve, his wife. We all know Adam and Eve, the very beginning. And she, had, she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Also Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now stop reading for one second as I go on. I want to tell you a couple of things of what we just read. God is not looking for anything less this morning in your life but your heart. Okay? Get rid of religion. Get rid of tradition. Get rid of the things in your life that you do because you know you're supposed to do them, but don't do them because you love God. Y'all here? Come on, give me an amen so I can keep on going. Pastor just said it at the offering. If we give because we know we're supposed to give, there's a blessing for that. But if I give because I know I love God, there's a greater blessing for that. 
And so we're seeing here an offering. This isn't an offering message, but we're seeing in the very beginning that Cain and Abel are born and now they're working. And they're of, of their work, they automatically have a desire in their heart to give something back to God. Amen? How many know that when your heart begins to get right, you just automatically want to do something for the Lord? You can start to ask yourself, am I doing well with the Lord if you begin to stop wanting to do something for God? If you begin to get to a place where you're wanting everybody else to serve you, then you probably need to get on your knees again, get back in relationship with God, fall in love with the Lord again, because when your heart is right for God, your attitude is of servanthood. Can you say amen? And so these people come with their offerings, and I, and I remember when I first got saved and I began to read that, I thought, how, you know, before I got down further and before I went into it more, how would God tell, you know, Cain that he wasn't, satisfied or happy with his sacrifice he and I began to look and I and I began to think what they're both giving they're both giving of what they have they're both working but why is it that he accepts the one and not the other and it's absolutely nothing less than a heart issue amen it's a heart issue it's an issue of understanding how much God has given and so obviously Cain was giving out of out of, out of, out of a, 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 a need to feel like he was doing the, th the right thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but maybe you came to church this morning because you knew it was the right thing to do. Maybe you came to church this morning because it's what you do. I didn't get any amens on that. I'm not, that would have to be an agreement, amen? But, but maybe you woke up and you said, you know what, I don't really feel like going to church, but I'm going to go. You heard the joke many times where the wife comes in and tries to wake the guy up. And she's shaking him and yelling at him. And he says, leave me alone. And she keeps trying to wake him up and wake him up and wake him up. And finally says, why do I got to give up? Give me one good reason. She says, you're the pastor. Right. <laughs> so everybody feels there's days when they just want to stay in bed and don't want to come. But it goes back to my heart. Did I come this morning to church because I wanted to come? Am I here this morning because I wanted to be here? We know there's a lot of people that are on drugs this morning. You've been drugged to church, right? You came because your mama said, you're going to church. You came because your dad said, we're going to church. And good for you, mom and dad. Amen. Amen. Plant that seed. But as we look at this, we're seeing an attitude. And this is so important if we're going to understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. So he says, I don't respect your offering. And he says, will you not be accepted if you do well? I want to look at seven again. Sin lies at your door. I've been talking about this the last couple weeks. Nobody is exempt from falling. Nobody is exempt from backsliding. Nobody is exempt from becoming a drug addict or an alcoholic or getting into some kind of life, lifestyle that is not pleasing to God. Amen. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to commit adultery today. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I got a pretty good life. I think I ought to try being a drug addict today. Let me try something new. Those things don't happen overnight. Those things happen after one and two and three and four times that Satan has come to your door and he's knocked and he's knocked and you might not have let him in, but you opened the door a little bit. You cracked it open a little bit, amen, and left a hole. It says he's lying at your door. That's almost like where you can see that he didn't come barging in. He's there just waiting for an opportunity to slip in, right? He's just waiting. He's, the Bible says he's like a lion 
seeking whom he may devour. Now, when we think of a lion, we think of that, those big old teeth. We think of the growl, and we think of the devastation that a lion does to an animal. But I remember, I've seen firsthand, thank God, it was an amazing thing, firsthand in the wild in Africa, I've seen what lionesses do. They don't just growl and scare everybody away, because if they growl, their prey is gone. The only way they're going to get that prey is they sneak up. When we saw that lion right there in the wild, five feet away, it was not roaring. It was not licking its chops. It was not saying, here I come. It was on the ground. It was quiet, and it was focused on its prey, lying at the door. And then it later on got up, and it walked very quietly to another place, and it laid down again. And that's what the devil's doing. He's just looking, watching, and waiting for where and when and how he can get in the door. And you've got to remember, I've got to remember, we've all got to remember that he's not coming in to drink coffee. He's not coming in to hang out and have fellowship. He's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Okay, God has a wonderful plan for our life. God has a wonderful plan for your family. God has a wonderful plan for this church. God has a wonderful plan for this world. But the devil has other plans. He's cursed. He's bound. He has no future. He has no hope. And so he's lying at the door. And I want you to think this is all the way back in the book of Genesis. All the way back in the very beginning. I'm saying all this for something. Stay with me. So he says, lies at the door, and it's sin is at the door, and it's desire is for you. Now, if you got your Bible, and you're one of those people that's not against underlining in your Bible, if you don't like to mark your Bible, that's fine. I like to mark mine with different things and write things and all that. And I, liked, I want you to underline, but you should rule over it. Right there in verse 7. But you should rule over it. Rule over what? Over sin. Okay? So dominion, I have dominion over sin. Sin does not have dominion over me. Some of you might say, how do you know? And I'm going to get to that. Okay? Just trust me on this for a minute. Dominion is in my life this morning if I believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ, a life for a life. Okay, how many are following me so far? A life for a life. Okay, so we see here, you, you should rule over it. God is telling him, God is always, that's why we're here at church, church, church this morning. God is trying to keep us from something next week. A mistake. Maybe you made a mistake two months ago, and you look back and you say, you know what, I see that God was trying to keep me from that mistake, but I didn't listen. God was trying to keep me from messing up and he gave me some opportunities to, to succeed and I did not rule over the sin in my life. Amen. So rule over it. Let's go on. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Okay? Okay? Put yourself in God's shoes. I asked you that at the very beginning. How many could enter into some real frustration right here? God just, just started the world. Y'all with me? He just started it. It hasn't even been very many years. He just made this beautiful earth. 
He just put Adam and Eve in the garden. He's, how, how many have ever done something so nice for somebody? Again, again, I'm not trying to stir up problems here. Amen. You've done something real nice for somebody, and they might not have done it on purpose, but they just trampled over the plants. And maybe didn't catch the clues of the fact that you were trying to do something nice. God is trying his best to bless us. Y'all realize that that is God's plan. It is his purpose. It is his desire to give us the best. He is not a father. Listen, this is not Father's Day or Mother's Day message. He's not a father that's up there trying to hurt us. He is a good father. He's a wonderful father. His plan is great and wonderful and awesome. And I know a lot of times we have a hard time understanding the Father because of our own fathers. I thank God don't have that problem. I have a wonderful Father. But a lot of people didn't have one. And so it's so hard to get that in our minds that God is a good Father and all He wants to do is bless us. Amen. That's His plan. It's always been His plan. He's got this beautiful garden. And then He puts Adam and Eve in there. He says, hey, here's everything you want. Just don't touch that tree. If I was God... I would have done reverse psychology. <laughs> Amen? Gavin's not here this morning. They're in Colorado Springs. Every time, every, we, my wife used to watch Gavin. And always with Gavin, it's always worked with me with reverse psychology. If I wanted a hug from him, I said, I don't want a hug. And he'd come hug me. I don't want to high five. And he'd come high five me. It's reverse psychology. I would have I been God. I'd been like, hey, you can eat from that tree only. And you can't touch anything else. That might have worked better. Amen. But he tells them, don't touch that one tree. And he puts them in there. And just real quick, Satan's lying at the door. We know that part of the story. And they sin. And they eat of that fruit tree of the fruit of life. And they sin and they find out they're naked. And that's where sin enters the world. And then God's like, okay. I just made these people. I've just started this thing. They've already messed up. Let me try with their kids. Okay, here's the babies. Here's the son. Here's the son. Here we go again. Okay, you're coming to me. Come on in. All right, good. Thank you for your offerings. Look, I'm helping you here. This is a good offering. Your heart's right. Hey, you've got issues. Work on that. Don't do that. He's, he's, he's saying, hey, get your heart right. Don't give that way. This is, he's warning. Let sin's lying at your door. He goes... Back to doing what God does. And all of a sudden, Cain kills Abel. I'm just trying to get you to put yourself in God's shoes. Not that you're God, but talk about frustration. How many are following me? Is anybody frustrated in here with me? I mean, you just made Adam and Eve, they sinned. You just made Cain and Abel, they sinned. Now there's bloodshed. What Adam and Eve did was bad enough. Now, the sons kill each other. The Cain kills Abel. Kills him. Starts the bloodshed. Okay? And so a lot of times we wonder, watch this, we wonder why blood? A life for a life. Blood for blood. When Cain killed Abel, blood was shed. When Cain killed Abel and blood was shed, it began a process that had to be reversed. When Adam and Eve sinned, it began a process that had to be reversed. Okay? How many are following this so far? The atonement of Jesus Christ. Let's finish reading this. God does another good thing. God's always doing good things. If we realize it. 
The Lord says to Cain, watch this, where is Abel your brother? Okay, what does God always do? I'm going to get through this, don't worry. What does God always do when we mess up? Always gives us a chance to what? Repent. And what? There's another word, confess. Okay, he always gives us, that's what 1 John says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and wash your sins away, okay? So he says, where, he says, hey, Cain, you think God didn't know where his brother was? Hey, where's, where's Abel at? What is he doing? Is he really asking where's Abel at? No, he's God. He knows where Abel's at. He's giving Cain an opportunity before the judgment comes to say, where's your brother at? And Cain could have said, what? I killed him. I know that's easy thing, not an easy thing to confess. But what he was looking for, God was looking for, was a confession. What does he say? You know, listen, the worst thing you can do with God is get sarcastic. Okay? What does he say? I don't know. And he could have just said, I don't know. But he said, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Right? Isn't that how we cover up our sins a lot of times? We could just, just you know, brush it off with one little action, but we got to go on and make it worse. Was, was my problem where he's at? Right? So he gets cocky with God. And then what happens? Why have you done? Sorry, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood. See that? Blood cries out to me from the ground. Okay? You, we cannot move forward in this message this morning until you understand this part right here. The blood of Abel cries out to me from the ground. From that day forward, the blood has always cried out to God. Always. And there's always had to be a thing that God could answer that with, okay? It's, it's that feeling of a father or a mother who's lost something great. And it cries out to them all the time. Abel was the good one. Good people have bad things happen to them. And bad people have good things happen to them. Once you get over that, you're going to go far with God. But today there's a lot of people around the world shaking their fists at God or have left serving God because of that fact right there that why, if I'm a good person, do bad things happen to me? Abel was a good person. Abel's heart was right with God, yet he died. And God is hearing that cry. And today, church, from that day all the way till today, today there are millions of people who've been killed and martyred for their faith and lost their lives being good people and that blood today still cries out to God. The lost. And let me tell you, one of the biggest ones is the millions of babies who are aborted every year. That blood cries out to God. Those lost people cry out to God. The destinies that are destroyed because of bad decisions. Did God do these things? No, we do. But God is a God of atonement. A life for a life. Okay? Bloodshed for bloodshed. Let's finish this part. If the Holy Spirit lets me. Where were we at? Verse 11, 10. Blood cries out for me through the ground. Verse 11. So now, so now, now, not before. This is what's interesting. God didn't just immediately judge them. 
He gave him a chance to confess. He gave him a chance to make it right. And he did now. You're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And I want to remind you as a parent how hard that is for God to hear. Okay? I know we got some parents in here. And I know that the kids that are young here will never understand until you get older that that saying, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you, is true. Right? It's the truth. Those things don't make... God did it backwards again, I don't understand. We should have been old first and then became kids. Then we listened to all this wisdom that people tell us. Amen? Remember what we heard on Father's Day where that person gets to be about 40 or 50 and all of a sudden they realize how smart their parents are. How much they've learned in such a short amount of time. Are y'all following me? This goes back to our own personal walk in life with God. The, the, we've got to understand that it's, this hurts God because bloodshed was not God's plan. That's a good thing to say amen about and write down. Why is there so much war today? Why is there so much bloodshed? Why is there so much violence? It wasn't God's plan. God didn't do that. God didn't put that in Cain. Cain did it. Sin did it. Rebellion did it. Satan started it. All the way up in heaven. Y'all following that? Don't blame God for these things. God's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of peace. He's a God of restoration. He's always trying to bring us back to Him. But we are hard-headed people. And we sin over and over again. Surely you have driven me out this day, verse 14, from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will, make that, make, it will, and it will happen Sorry, that anyone who finds me will kill me. Now I see something here that I want you to see again. I wasn't planning on staying on these verses this long. But I see something here. God, when he says here in verse 13... Sorry, 12. 11 and 12. You're cursed from the earth, from the blood, and you're going to till the ground. You're going to be a vagabond. You're going to be a fugitive. Watch this again. This goes into the fact of God knowing He's going to be that. Okay? Knowing He's going to be that, not because He spoke that He would be that, but that He knew He was going to be that, because the God that I see in the Scriptures, even when He said, you're cursed, now... He could have at that point, and you'll see this all through the scriptures different times, even at that point when he said, you're cursed, he still could have cried out to God. Y'all following this? He still could have cried out to God and said, God, please don't, I'm sorry. So you never see in this part of the scriptures any remorse. Are y'all following this? We just see, we see the curse part. And that again is God knowing he's going to be cursed because he's God. But not God choosing that he would be cursed. God always, his plan has always been, remember this, always been, always will be redemption. Always. Restoration. There's nothing that a kid can do to a parent to drive that love of the parent from that kid. 
Now, don't get it wrong. You can kick them out the house. You can tell them tough love. You can separate yourself from them. You can let them go out and walk the streets. You can do all that stuff. But any child that would come back to a mother or father with a repentant heart that says, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Mom. I want to change. There's not a parent in the world that would not take that child back and restore them to the place of love that they always had. It's the person that leaves, not the person that stayed. Are y'all following me? So even though we see a curse here, even though we see God saying you're going to be cursed, there's still, because look at verse 14. Instead of him saying, God, I'm sorry, and crying out to him and saying, Lord, I don't want to be cursed. I don't want to be a vagabond. Can, can we change this? Can, can you give me a second chance? You don't see Cain doing that. He doesn't respond. He doesn't repent. He accepts the thing that the devil has placed on him. Through his rebellion. I don't know why I'm staying on this part so long. This is very important. He accepts it. Maybe today there's a whole lot of people in here and around the world that are saved, but they have accepted what the devil has spoke over their life. And they're just walking in it. And they're not able to understand that God has something better for me. God wants me out of this. And just because God knew I'd get to this place doesn't mean it was his plan. Okay? So we see no repentance, although he could have. And before I move on to this last point, that's the same story of Judas. It's the same idea. Judas betrayed Jesus. He sold Jesus for 30 coins, 30 pieces of silver. But we know what happened to him. We know the scriptures tell us that he went and he killed himself. But some people would say, well, no, he turned the silver in. That was the beginning of a turnaround, but he didn't finish. He remorsed and knew he did the wrong thing and went and threw the silver away. But the devil was waiting right there for him when he came out of that place, when he dropped the silver and said, hey, God ain't going to forgive you for that. You've already messed up. Giving that silver back is not going to do no good. Just like the devil was telling Cain in his ear, you've killed your brother already. You've already done the deed. You're done. Y'all following me? So Judas goes ahead and listens to the voice. And this this part's kind of, I know this is kind of, seems like it's going a different direction, but what's the voice you're listening to this morning? Are you listening to the word of God? Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Or are you listening to the devil? Because the devil's always going to tell you to go and do the wrong thing. And even when you've messed up and come to the house of repentance and a place of restoration, the devil still, when people get saved, why don't people make it? Why do people come forward and get saved a lot in lots of churches around the world and cry and have tears and give their life to God and they really say, Lord, I want to change? Because when they get to the door and the car and home, the devil's waiting for them. Sin lies at the door, waiting for them and says, hey. That thing you did at the church didn't mean anything because we don't understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. We don't understand it. Verse 15. Lord says, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord shall set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. He gave him protection. Even after he didn't repent. He gave him protection. Hebrews 12, write this down for time. Verse 24 says, To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. 
and, the, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks, watch this, better things than that of Abel. Okay, so Abel's blood is in the book of Hebrews. It's still talked about in the book of Hebrews. It's still an issue. It's where it started. So some people miss out on the atonement and the understanding of atonement. Remember, I've already given you the definition, life for life. The reconciliation of the world to Jesus, to God, to God through Jesus. Life for life. That's basically what the atonement means. It's, it's a sacrificial death for you and me. Okay? Just like I was talking about in the beginning with artists. I died so artists could live. Okay, I died so 500 people could live. But that doesn't have anything to do with whether they accept it or not. That's the key. The death happened. Jesus died. Jesus gave his life. Jesus came down as God in the flesh. And he came to shed his blood. Just as they did in the Old Testament. All the times that you see, that's why a lot of times when people, I told you my brother-in-law, he'll be listening to this later. He'll, he'll, he, I talk about him sometimes. He'll tell, he gets a book of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and he, he cries. He doesn't, he doesn't understand it. When you're a new believer, I did the same thing. You don't even read the Old Testament. You say, I'm not going there. It don't make sense. I don't understand it. But it's because we try to make it too hard. It's because sometimes we miss out on a key little thing that really helps us. We had to have the sacrifices in the Old Testament because it was the animal being the sacrifice that would be Jesus. It was the blood being shed that was for Abel, that would be Jesus' blood for Abel, for humanity. And then Jesus came on and he said, once and for all. Once and for all. Okay? One man sinned, another man died. One man rose from the dead. We all rise from the dead, okay? One for one. Life for life, blood for blood. So a life was taken, a life had to be given. Blood was shed, blood had to be shed. Okay? That's atonement. That's, that's, what, that's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate communion. We are remembering what Jesus did for us. But not religiously, relationally. In a love and a relationship with God, Amen? So one more time I'll read that. To Jesus, I already know I'm not going to get, I'm still on the first paragraph of my, page one. So it's not going to happen this morning. Amen? But to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, it's the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Here's another verse. verse Leviticus 17. I do want you to look at this real quick if you would. Verse 11. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus. Sorry, I missed Deuteronomy. Leviticus 17. Say amen when you're there. Here's atonement. Say help. I need help. Not there yet. Say give me a second. Okay, I'm not hearing that. Here we go. Leviticus 17, verse 11. You ready? For the life of the flesh. How many are in the flesh here this morning? Not, not, I'm not saying in the flesh, but you're living flesh. Okay? For the life of your flesh is what? In the what? In the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to what? Make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Okay, it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. What's that, how do I break that down elementary? Remember, this fleshly body is going to die. This is going to stop being. This is what's really important. This is what people don't think about enough. 
is that my life is short. Is that I can die at any moment. And once this body dies, my spirit continues to live. This physical body is going to die, but my soul will never die. How many know people don't take that serious enough? Don't think about it enough? Don't spend enough time on it? We've talked about that a whole lot of times. There's nothing wrong with building a, a career and, and having a nice house and building for having a car and having things and building for a life and taking care of. The Bible said, leave an inheritance to your children and your grandchildren. All that's good. But how many people spend their entire life working on the physical life they live, the house they live in, the cars they drive, the money they try to put in the bank, blah, 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 on and on and on, and never spend any time thinking about their soul that will live forever. Talk about foolish. So if you're busy this morning in your career and your life and your money and your cars and all that and, and, and you don't think about God and you don't think about what I'm doing to make sure my soul lives forever in heaven, then I call you a foolish person. Amen. Because the Bible, as a matter of fact, I'm just quoting the scripture. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And what? And what? Lose his soul. I don't want to live forever. Too bad. You don't have a choice. God didn't give it. How many wish God would have given us a choice? I kind of do. And then we just, just die. But he didn't ask us. He didn't say, do you guys want to live forever? No, he says, you're going to live forever. Y'all with me? Do you want to live forever? It don't matter. We get caught up on the dumbest things sometimes. No one's asking us. God didn't say, hey, let's do a poll. Let's take up a poll. And if, you know, 51% wants to just have the lights go out, we'll do it that way. He didn't do that. He said, you're going to live forever. I'm not giving you that choice. I'm giving you the choice where. Okay? That's what the Bible says. I give you the choice where you spend eternity. And isn't it amazing that people still choose death? Just simmer on that for a minute, like a crock pot. Isn't it amazing that people still choose death? That still choose that punishment even though they can have eternal life because they don't understand the atonement. They don't believe the atonement. They don't accept that the life of my flesh is in my blood and that He's given it to us to make atonement for our souls and it's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Let me read you a quick story. I'm going to give me just a couple more minutes. Alila stood on the beach holding her tiny infant son close to her heart. Tears welled in her eyes as she began slowly walking toward the river's edge. She stepped into the water, silently making her way out till she was waist deep in the river. The water gently lapping up and slapping the baby's feet. She stood there for a long time holding the child tightly as she started out across that river. And all of a sudden, in one quick movement, she threw the six-month-old baby 
into the water to his death. Native missionary M.V. Varghese often witnessed crowds of people doing this very act. They would gather at the Ganges, it says. It was him who uh, on that day walked up to, came upon, sorry, Alila, kneeling in the sand, crying uncontrollably and beating her breast. This guy would go and witness at this place. With compassion, he knelt down next to her and asked her what was wrong. Through her sobs, she told him, the problems in my home are too many. My sins are heavy on my heart, so I offered the best I have to the goddess Genghis, my firstborn son. Brother Varghese's heart ached for the desperate woman. As she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Jesus and that through him, her sins could be forgiven. She looked at him strangely and said, I've never heard that before. She replied through her tears, why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? If you did, my child would not have had to die. And he began to share that she could be saved. She could put her faith in Jesus. And it goes on in the finality of this story to say that each year, millions of people come to the holy Indian city of Hardwar to bathe in the river Ganges. I could be saying that wrong. And these multitudes come believing that this Hindu ritual will wash their sins away. For many people like Alila, missionaries are arriving too late. Simply because there aren't enough faithful brothers and sisters on the mission field to tell them that the only way to have your sins atoned for is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now that sounds crazy. That sounds like a crazy story. It happens all the time. That's just one religion. And it might not be an outward, blatant sacrifice of a thing or a person, but the world in general today is looking for forgiveness for their sins. And the Bible says that only through Jesus Christ is that sin possible to be removed. 1 Peter 2.24 says, watch this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now I'm kind of really taking this slow this morning because I could rush through these verses and you could miss out on the easy understanding simple truth it's a life for life blood for blood that's what Jesus did to atone our sins and what I have to do this morning is understand that and I have to believe that and I have to make sure that I because in our minds we're thinking well man that's 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 crazy give your baby but a lot of times in our minds in our religious attitudes we're trying to make ourselves okay with God and trying to be on a good standing with God when we cannot be there outside of the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That is the only thing that makes us okay. So if I take my eyes and my faith, and we're all guilty of this at some time, if I take my eyes and my faith off of the cross and the blood shed and the atonement of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, His body, bodily sacrifice on the tree for me, then it becomes works. Okay? becomes me saving myself because I'm a good person. And God wants us to be good people. But I don't get atonement from being a good person. Okay? Let me give you one more verse this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Many of you have heard this verse. And I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come. You've heard this verse. If anyone is in Christ, what? He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. But a lot of times we don't go on to read what follows. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. Listen to these verses. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Okay? He has reconciled us. Why are we separated? Because of Cain. Why are we separated? Because of Adam and Eve. We've always been separated. We are born separated. We have a lot of newborn babies. They were born into Christian homes, separated. Y'all follow me? Born into Christian homes, separated from God because of sin. And they have to get to an age of accountability where they begin to know what sin is. They begin to understand what's right and wrong. And then they have to do what we all have done, I hope, chose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Why? Because He gave His life. Why? Because He became a curse for us. Remember when He said to Cain, you're accursed. He was talking about His spiritual life. His spiritual walk. Not just His physical body. Not that He's going to be a vagabond. He was talking about you are cursed with sin for the rest of your life. And the, the only way that He could be forgiven was through the atonement of the blood. Okay? And we must understand that. We are separated from God. There's no way, no way we can be good enough. And let me remind you today, for those that are new, those that are visiting, let me remind you, there is going to, this is a fact, there's going to be a lot of really, really good people in hell. Good people. Good heart. Good people. But if they don't believe and accept Listen, I didn't make this up. That's one of the hardest things sometimes as Christians is we try to, to say, well, uh, let, me, let, me, let me try to sugarcoat this. Let me, let me try to make this. No, you are cursed. Y'all with me? Don't try to sugarcoat what the Bible says. He says, unless we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are separated. We're severed. There's no relationship. The only bridge between us and God is the cross. The only bridge between us and God is the blood. The only bridge between us and God in redemption is Jesus. The atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say this. All things have been reconciled to Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What are we doing today? 2,000 years later, we're ministering the reconciliation of God. We're saying you can be restored. You can come back to Jesus. And then he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
watch this, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. What a powerful scripture. As God were pleading through us. See, God has chosen that we would be the ambassadors with the viral to heal the infection of the world. We carry the blood. We carry the vial. We carry the anti-venom, if you want to say it that way. We have it. And it's the word of God. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the hope of the Lord Jesus. We carry it. And he's saying, I've chosen, and this has to be hard for God many times as he's chosen us to be his ambassadors. As he looks, and I'm saying this in general, as he looks down on us as a Christian world, as a church world, as a people of the kingdom of God. And we're so busy in the world that we're not being the ambassadors that God has called us to be. And he says, I plead through you that you would on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. And then he says these last words. For he made him. Now this is going to tie it all up, okay? Life for life, blood for blood, atonement of Jesus Christ. If you didn't get anything else, get this. This is what the verse says in 21. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Okay? It, it, these are the, the sermons and the messages and the, and the scriptures that we need to read again and meditate on them and remind ourselves how good God is. And be so thankful and be so reverent of what God did for us. That he who knew no sin became sin for me. Amen? That, he might, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Powerful. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What do we have to do this morning? Believe and accept in the atonement. Life for life. He paid your price. Okay, I'm going to close with this last thought for this Sunday morning as we go into prayer. You and I this morning, right now, in this place are human beings without Jesus that are separated from God. And it would be like us walking into a courtroom and we had killed somebody and the penalty of our actions was death. Life sentence, death row, execution, by electrocution, by hanging, whatever they used to do and they do. And I'm standing before the judge. You're standing before the judge. You put yourself there. I put myself there. And we're standing there. And the judge has his gavel. And he has slammed it down. And he says, go. The execution chamber's waiting. You are condemned. And all the evidence is there. And you know and I know we're guilty. And our spirits sink. And we think, this is it. And then somebody walks in the room. And says, judge... I will go for them. I will go for them. And the judge stops and thinks about it for a second and says, you will die for them. And he says, what did you do? 
Did you have something to do with this murder? Are you the murderer? Is there something going on in this case I don't know about? Did you kill that person? No, judge. I, I don't know anything about this murder. I wasn't there. I have nothing to do with it. And the judge says, you had nothing to do with this murder, but you will take this person's life. You will die for that person. You will take the place. And the, the person says, yes, I will die for them. I will die in place of them. And the judge says, okay, somebody has to die. A life for a life. Somebody has to die for this, for this murder. You can take the place. And that person who had nothing to do comes in and goes into the death chamber and is electrocuted or gassed or however you want to do it for you. And you walk out free. Totally free. And no record. Nothing's on your record. It never happened. It's never talked about again. And all you have to do, all that guy says as he goes into that chamber is please remember what I'm doing for you and live a life worthy of my death for you. And basically says, don't come put yourself here again. That's the salvation of Jesus Christ. He took our place, life for life. And today, our, the gospel is, believe on me. Bow your heads this morning, please. The atonement of Jesus Christ. In just a minute, we're going to take communion. And I'll ask the ushers just to begin to get prepared for that this morning. But as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed this morning, I want to give you the opportunity all over this place. Please, if you're listening to me, don't begin to think about lunch or what you have to do tomorrow. Don't think about anything else right now. Please, please, as I plead to you, as Jesus would ask me to right now, as I read in that verse, he's pleading through us that we would be reconciled to God. That we would accept the sacrifice. I don't know you. You don't know me. I don't know what you do. You don't know what I do. I don't know your sins. You don't know my sins. God knows everything. And this is between you and God. And I ask you this morning, if you were to die today, if you were to pass into what we talked about is eternity, as your soul lives forever, where would you spend eternity today? And I can tell you that I know that if you give your life to Jesus and you accept the atonement of Jesus' blood, a life for a life, bloodshed for bloodshed, and you say, Jesus, I believe he will save you this morning. He will write your name in the Lamb's book of life and he will give you eternal life. He will stay in your place, took your place already. All you have to do is accept it. How many in this place from front to back and side to side would say, that's me, Pastor. I want to accept that atonement this morning, but I've never done it. I want to be saved today. Would you just put your hand up? And put it right back down. I want to pray for you this morning. I see your hand. God bless you. How many more? Quickly. All over this place. I need that atonement. I need to be saved this morning. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not worthy. And yet, guess what? None of us are. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God 
is eternal life. I'm going to wait just a few more seconds. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that there are some more people. There's some more people that if you walked out of this place this morning and God forbid got in a car accident, God forbid something happened unexpected and you died, you would not be able to point your finger at me and say, you didn't tell me. I've told you this morning, there's only salvation in the blood of Jesus. Maybe you're here as a, as a believer, but you've never really understood or really accepted or really walked in the understanding that Jesus took your place. And you've been trying to get to God through works. And you've been trying to get to God by being good enough. Maybe that's you. How many more would say, I need that prayer this morning? Just put your hand up and put it down. I need to be saved all over this place. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I pray and believe that if you didn't raise your hand, you're ready and you believe and you've accepted Him. And if you did, that you'd, that you'd be serious about that choice and you'd say, God, I, I, I don't want to think about me anymore. I want to think about you. I want to know that I'm living a life worthy of the atonement, worthy of a life for life, worthy of that. And as we go to sing this morning, if you raised your hand and you meant it, we want to ask you to do one more thing. And some people say, why do you do this? And I, I do it because the Bible says that if I'm ashamed of God before man, he'll be of Jesus before man, he'll be ashamed of me before his father. But if I confess him before man, he'll confess me before his father. Meaning I make a public confession. I need Jesus. It's not, listen, it's not that sometimes we go, oh, I'm, am, I the, am I the only sinner in here? Am I one of the sinners in here? No, we're all sinners. It's not about being a sinner. That's a fact. It's not who's the sinner in here? All of us. It's the fact that I haven't accepted the atonement for my sins. And how foolish would it be to have somebody walk into the courtroom and say, I'll take your place. And you say, no, I'm good. Who would do that? But some people do. When we reject Jesus. Amen. So if you said that this morning, you raised your hand. Or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you know you need to come. I want to ask you to step out of your seat. Come up to the front of this altar, and I'm going to pray for you right now. Just quickly, all of this place. You raised your hand. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. I'm going to wait just a few seconds. Hands went up. I want you to give your life to Jesus this morning. I can't do this next step for you. I can't do that. I can only walk for myself. I did it 20 years ago. Almost 22 now. Pray, church. Pray with me. I just know that there's some people in here this morning... Holy Spirit saying, just wait a second. Amen? You just step out and you say, Jesus, here I am. I want to accept that, that sacrifice. I want to accept the atonement right now for my sins. Five seconds. Four. We're going to move on. Three. Two. One. Father, today we ask you to forgive us for our sins. We ask you to wash us with your blood. We ask you to cleanse us from unrighteousness, God. And Lord, as we're here this morning, and as we're moving forward, Lord, in this service and coming to an end, God, we ask you to give us a revelation, a revelation, Father, of the atonement, the sacrifice, the substitution that you did for us, how you stepped out of heaven and became a man and became sin for me so that I could live forever with you. Lord, we understand this morning as we're praying, we understand we will live forever. That's not, a, that's not the point. It's where we will spend eternity. And your word says, your will 
is that you love this world so much that you gave your son that whosoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. And today that's the gospel. That's the message. That's the plan. And this morning we ask you, Lord Jesus, to wash us clean with your blood this morning. And as we move into communion this morning, as we can move into taking this sacrament, this, this ordinance of the, of the Bible, and we begin to say, God, I do this in remembrance of you. We begin to prepare our hearts this morning. As you're standing and you're praying, I pray again that you're not thinking about what needs to be done later, but you're focused right now on what God did for you. What Jesus did on the cross. And we're going to take up this communion this morning and we're going to do it in thanksgiving. We're going to do it thanking the Lord that because of His blood, we have life. Because of His blood, we have redemption. Because of His blood, we have reconciliation. Because of His blood, we have healing this morning. As we begin to take up communion this morning, as we begin to have an opportunity to remember what Jesus did, I want to remind you as you're praying right now that if your body is sick, Jesus died on the cross not only for your sins, but for the healing of your body. Jesus died not only for the healing of your body, but He died for the restoration of your mind. He died for the restoration of your marriage. He died for the restoration and redemption of your children. He died so that you could have life. He has so many things He's given us in His blood, and we need to walk in the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. As the ushers are coming, I'm asking you to prepare your spirit because the Bible says as we begin to take up communion that we should examine ourselves. So as you're standing there and you're praying, I want you to begin to ask the Lord, say, Lord, would you examine me? Would you look inside my life this morning? Would you look at my life and my sins and, and my walk and would you show me anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? I like to look at it like a Holy Spirit flashlight. Thank you. And I say, God, look inside of me this morning. And if there's something that's not pleasing, I ask you this morning to please remove it from me. And I confess that sin. If there's unconfessed sin in your life this morning, you ask God to forgive you right now. And as you begin to take that cup and that bread, your only requirement this morning for taking that is that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died on the cross for your sins. Amen. And you believe that this morning. And I said a sinner's prayer. I asked anybody that needed to be saved to come forward. So I have to believe that you're saved here. I can't, I can't know your heart. I believe this morning that you're saved. And that you know Jesus. Amen. As we move forward in this this morning, I'm going to ask Dylan to help us out with the, with, the, with the communion. Just continue to pray. Continue to prepare your heart and your spirit as we get our, our minds and our spirits ready to take this.
Amen. If you haven't received the the cup with the blood or or the the, the cracker, just just wave your hand so they see where you are. Amen. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your body. We thank you for it was bruised, it was beaten. Heavenly Father, as a sacrifice for us. Father, this morning we do this in remembrance, Heavenly Father. What a great sacrifice you did. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread.